Hello and welcome to another episode of Life Stories Markham, the podcast. Life Stories is a channel devoted to providing our audience with a deeper understanding of the individual behind the public persona. I'm going to be your host, Michael Heap, and uh, in our channel here, we will delve into the life story of Markham residents who are known in their field of work or by their passion. If you're watching on YouTube or listening to the podcast, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. In this episode, we're pleased to be joined by Caroline Harris. Caroline's life has spanned two continents and three countries, beginning in the Emerald Isle, known as Ireland. Caroline is very active and still enjoys sports such as curling, skiing and golf, and she's worked in many areas of the healthcare systems in Canada, Ireland, and England. Caroline, welcome to Life Stories. Thank you. So Caroline, um, we've gotten to know you, or I have, through the Curling Club, mm -hmm. the Unionville Curling Club, and um, maybe you can tell us uh, and tell the audience uh, what got you into curling in the first time, what made you join the club? Well, I knew Diane Whitaker from a golf league that we played in a few years ago. And Diane was instrumental in getting the Learn to Curl program going at Unionville Curling Club. And she told me I had to come and curl. <laughs> <laughs> so after a bit of persuasion, right. I decided I would join the Learn to Curl program. I think that was the one in the spring of 2017. Mm -hmm. And I said, if I like it, I will join. Mm -hmm. And I did like it, and so I joined. And I've been a member at Unionville ever since then. Curling's not something that had ever been on my radar. Uh, growing up in Ireland, uh, I didn't know anyone who curled, didn't know anything right. about it, even though it's you know originated in the British Isles. And I'd seen it a few times on TV, but it just was not something that had, uh, that had ever uh, interested me. Right. But I do enjoy it. I found it challenging. I still find it challenging. I think it's one of those things that when you see it done by experts, <laughs> it looks pretty easy. Right. But when you actually get into it, it's not so easy after sure. all. Right, right. And in curling, there's a wonderful combination of athleticism, the sport part of it, and also the social part of it which is what's uh, been the driver towards this particular podcast. And that's yes. why we're here today, and to share stories that we uh, might not otherwise be sharing with a larger audience. And, and Unionville is a particularly uh, social club, I find. Mm -hmm. And curling not only is good exercise, better exercise than I ever imagined, but it's also strategy, and right. I, en I enjoy the strategy. Sure. Not that I'm any good at that part of it yet, <laughs> but that day might come. Uh. <laughs> I think you're selling yourself a little short. Oh, I don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, so let's move away from curling. Let's go back to uh, you grew up and were educated in Northern Ireland. That's right. Um, and uh, in interesting times. So maybe you can give us a little synopsis on uh, what it was like growing up in, in Belfast uh, at that time. I had a great childhood. Um, looking back on it, it was a very stable childhood. We had a lot of freedom. 
not much money. It was in the days when mom stayed home and looked after the kids and dad went to, to work. Mm -hmm. But the area that I grew up in in Belfast was a predominantly Protestant area, but we had a number of Catholic families in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. We never had any kind of an issue. This was in the 50s and early 60s. Yeah. I mention that because the religious divide permeates that place to mm -hmm. this day. And it's one of the things that was instrumental in uh, my decision to leave there, go to England, and then subsequently come to Canada. Mm -hmm. But as I said, in the, the time that I was growing up there, there were no such issues. Yeah. Our street that we lived on was on the outskirts of the city. Uh, Belfast is surrounded by hills, so you can only build so far. And our street, when we moved there, was the last one in the city, so we were surrounded by countryside. Wonderful. And as children, we just, we ran free. It was, it was a typical um, story that you hear about when the, the street lights come on, it's time to come home. <laughs> or in our case, one of our neighbors um, had a school bell just the old-fashioned, you know, bell that, you, mm -hmm. that you, she would ring. Right. And when she went out to the backyard and rang the bell, we knew it was time to come in from the fields for everybody to come in for lunch. <laughs> right, right, right. Wow, wonderful. So, yeah, so it was, uh, it, it was great. I, I look sure. back on it as a, as a, a time of, uh, of joy sure. and, and stability. Um, that changed, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you went into nursing while you were in Northern Ireland, Yes, right? yes. I, um, after I left school, I worked in the civil service for mm -hmm. a year and decided that was just so boring, I just couldn't deal with it, and I needed to do something else, mm -hmm. and I decided I would uh, learn to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. So I, I applied uh, to, in those days, there was no university training for nurses. Mm -hmm. You applied to a given hospital, they accepted you or not, and then they trained you, they, you stayed in the nurse's residence, they fed you, they, you know, they, they did everything, and they paid you. Ah, okay. <laughs> a very small amount, right. but enough to, you know, enough to, to cover basics. Right. So I did my three years um, nursing training there, mm -hmm. and then I decided that I wanted to be a midwife. Okay. And Rather than staying in the Belfast area to do that, I decided to go to England because at that time it was the late 60s and the troubles were just starting. Right, right. And I it's interesting because just... we use the term troubles quite a bit. This is an actual term that is used to describe the conflict that's between right. the Protestants and the Catholics in yeah. Northern Ireland. Yeah, that's right. The, um, the Catholics were uh, discriminated against. There is no question of mm. that. They had been discriminated against for hundreds of years since the English colonized Ireland and people were not allowed to own land and speak their own language and, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And at one point in, the, I think, the 1600s, the English uh, brought Protestants from the lowlands of Scotland over to Northern Ireland to bolster the Protestants that there. And, mm -hmm. of course, England at that time had rejected the Catholic faith and were, you know, wanted everybody to be Protestant. Right. And uh, the Catholics, as I said, were discriminated against. Sure. And in the mid-1960s, they decided that they weren't going to take it anymore. Mm -hmm. And civil rights movements started. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it just spiraled. Um, 
I guess one could say, out of control, into what really became a civil war, but it was based on religion <laughs> and the divide between the Catholics and the Protestants. Right. And so you're now working as a nurse in a hospital in Belfast. Yes. And violence is starting to erupt on the streets. Yes. Um, and I, I, for myself, I grew up in England uh, in the 60s and 70s, and I remember watching the television every night oh, yes. and seeing what was happening. Yes. Uh, this incredible violence and uh, civilians and soldiers being shot and yep. bombs going off. And so you're right in the middle of this, this conflict in a hospital. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you must have some stories from that time. Well, at that, at that time, I was doing a rotation in, in pl the plastics unit in the hospital that I did my training in. And so, yes, we were getting uh, victims in, like burn victims and, and so on. And uh, I just thought, I, I just don't want to, to deal with this. Right. So I um, applied to um, England, hospitals in England, mm -hmm. to do my midwifery training. And then when I could, I, I left. But I had a six month gap between leaving the, the hospital that I was working in and starting my midwifery training in England. Mm -hmm. And I decided that I wanted to do something different. I wanted some adventure. Right. And my uncle and his wife were living in Toronto at the time. Okay. So I wrote to them and said, can I come and stay with you and work for six months? Right. And so that's what I did. Okay. I actually emigrated at that time. Okay. I, it was very easy in those days. Right. Nursing jobs were, were 10 a penny mm -hmm. and they liked British trained nurses sure. and so I applied uh, for landed immigrant status at the beginning of June and I arrived here on the 2nd of July as yeah. a landed immigrant because yeah. I knew that I needed that status in order to to work sure. so came over um, got a job at St. Mike's uh, loved it mm -hmm. but went back and uh, back to England to do my midwifery training okay so at that time, uh, you left Northern Ireland because of what was happening there. Yes. Um, the intense conflict. Uh, you also had family members that were left behind. Yes. In Northern Ireland. So I'm sure there must have been some conflict going on in your head. You're, you're leaving family members, but you have to, for your own sake, you need to move on. Actually, no, there wasn't. I, you know, as a, as a 20 year old, 21 year old, I just did what I wanted to do. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> I just said, right. I'm going. Now, as an, as an, older adult now <laughs> and as a mother right, right. <laughs> I can only now or you know in recent years sure. um, appreciate how my my parents particularly my mother I think would have would have felt but but I did it in stages because I moved from where I lived in the family home in Belfast to the other side of the city Okay. Then I moved to England, right. and then I moved here. So it right. was it was in stages. Sure. Um, I did feel some anxiety for the family that was still in Belfast mm -hmm. when I was in England. Sure. But in all honesty, I can't say that I had any conflict about going. I just decided I was going to go. Right. I'm the eldest of four, and so I just you know, typical eldest sure. child. Wow. Just, and all three of your siblings go. did stay in Northern uh, Ireland? They, yes, they stayed. Um, my brother, who's the youngest of the family, he actually left uh, 1977, I think it was. He left okay. 77 or 78, and, right. and he came to Canada also, sure. but, but he's in Calgary. Okay. Um, my one sister 
stayed. And then my other sister is, was a special needs uh, person, so she, you know, she had no option right, mm, but right, to stay. Yeah, sure. And I, I recall from our research notes that one of your, your main, uh, one of the things you really noticed when you left Northern Ireland and ended up in, in England uh, was the difference in terms of people weren't immediately categorizing individuals yes. on whether you were Protestant or Catholic. Yes which is what the case was in Northern yes. Ireland, correct? Yes, that was so freeing. That was like a weight off your shoulders because in Northern Ireland, everybody knew who, who, which side you were on. Right. And as a teenager going to the discos, as we you know, went to in those days, right. um, the way that, that people would find out who you were and what your background was was to ask you which school you went to. Because if you went to St. Malachy's College or Holy Cross or something like that, you were Catholic. Right. If you went to Belfast High School, you were Protestant. You were, right. So people knew right away. Okay. And, and treated you somewhat differently. Yes, yeah. yes. Because, because there was, it was like people were in silos and it was, it was us and them. There was a, there was a divide. Mm. And uh, it was just, it, it was insane, really. I, I just think the whole thing is, is crazy, but that's, you know, that's the way it had been. Sure. And um, when I went to England, nobody cared. <laughs> no, it, it just was not an issue. It was wonderful. Right. <laughs> what a change. And so uh, you went to England and you decided uh, to, to be a midwife. Yes. Right. So I did my midwifery training. Did you always were you always thinking about that earlier, or was uh, it something you well, just decided? Well, I was. I was thinking about it since I did my gynecology rotation okay. uh, during my training, because that, uh, in part, a little bit of that, involved uh, some maternal child uh, care, sure. and I, I liked that. I also liked the uh, the autonomy of being a midwife, okay. and so when I finished my midwifery training. Rather than working in the hospital as a midwife, I worked in the community. Mm. So if anyone has seen the, the program on Masterpiece Theatre called The Midwife, right. that was me. Um, you weren't riding a bicycle. Right? No, I wasn't. No, <laughs> no. I, I did. I, my, my community that I worked in was in, in Southampton. Mm. It was not as... Um, it was not as downtrodden as, <laughs> as the people in Poplar in, right. in the program. Um, I did not live with the nuns. Okay, okay. <laughs> and I had a little car right. <laughs> rather, than a, rather than a bicycle. Right. But otherwise, it was pretty much the same. It sure. was looking after people for their antenatal care, delivering the babies, mostly in their homes, although okay. we did have a birthing center that they could choose to go to, run right. by midwives if, if they wanted to, sure. but mostly in their homes. And then we cared for them uh, for uh, the period of time after the baby was born mm -hmm. as well, right. before discharging and making sure that everything was okay. Yeah. So it was great. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, and I have a special connection to that part of the story, given that my mother was born in Ireland, and she moved to England, became a nurse, oh. took up midwifery, and became a midwife in England, where she met my father before she came to Canada. Oh, really? Oh, so <laughs> interesting. The, the, the timelines are a little different, but the, the steps are pretty similar, yes. so I can certainly yes. relate to a lot of the things you're, you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Now, when, when you arrived in Canada now, you are a certified midwife from England. Yes. And you arrived in Canada, and are, are you allowed to practice as no. a nurse at that point? No. No. I, I, 
was allowed to practice as a nurse, but not as a midwife. So midwifery did not become regulated in Ontario until 1994. So that was 20 years after I arrived. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I knew that before okay. I came. Sure. I didn't. I wasn't. I had no expectations of mm -hmm. practicing midwifery here. Um, so I reverted to nursing, and worked at St. Mike's. I'd worked at St. Mike's, as I think I said in that earlier um, few months before, sure. I, before I went to England. So I went back to St. Mike's and said, "I'm back," <laughs> and they nice. said, "Where would you like to work?" <laughs> Okay. So I so I worked at St. Mike's again when I came back, and then I wrote my Canadian exams a few months later. Mm -hmm. I had to wait for the time, but in those days they allowed you to work as what they called a graduate nurse, okay. as opposed to a registered nurse. So you earned a little bit less, and there were some restrictions mm -hmm. on what you could do. You had to have medications checked by somebody who was an RN, things like that. Right. But they didn't employ you. And then, of course, once you wrote the exams and became registered, then you were, you know, fully qualified registered sure. nurse. Sure. And then, as your story continues, uh, there's a special connection you have to the hospital that's in the place where we are now in Markham, Ontario, uh, the Markham Stouffville Hospital, right? Which was just being constructed, I believe, and going into operation? Uh, that wasn't until the mid-80s. Okay. So um, I actually stayed at St. Mike's for about a year or so, and then I left hospital nursing for a period of time. Uh, around that time, 1974-75, the nurses unionized, mm -hmm. and that made a difference to what you could do in the hospital, mm -hmm. because seniority was a paramount. And I got really annoyed because there were things that I, jobs that I could have applied for that I was qualified to do, but because I didn't have the seniority, it wasn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, well, that's it. I'm out of here. I'm going to do something else. So I worked at a whole lot of different, always in nursing, but right. different types of nursing sure. and for quite a number of years. And I actually ended up getting into occupational health nursing Okay. in 1970. Eight, I believe it was, mm -hmm. the government legislated that businesses and industries were required to conform to certain standards with regards to occupational health okay. and safety. And that opened up jobs right. for occupational health uh, people, but also for occupational health nurses. Right. So, so businesses and factories had, had oftentimes employed nurses, mm -hmm. but they had varying backgrounds and varying qualifications. Right. So the fact that the Occupational Health and Safety Act came into being sure. meant that particularly industries had to uh, really consider what they were doing and who they were hiring and what the qualifications were of right. the people they were hiring. Mm -hmm. So I thought that sounded like a good opportunity. Right. So the so, entrepreneur in you saw an opportunity. Well, <laughs> well, see, again, it was something that was um, self-directed and fairly autonomous, okay. because usually what would happen would be business would apply, would uh, employ one or more occupational health nurses, and usually a physician. There would also probably be a health and safety officer, but then a physician who would come in one or two days a week. Meanwhile, the nurse just ran the show. So I did courses, took exams and got my certification in occupational health nursing. Mm -hmm. And then I worked at that for quite a number of years. Mm -hmm. I worked in the, uh, 
the GM van plant that used to be in Scarborough. Yes. I don't know if you would I remember that area. down at Eglinton, Eglinton and Warden area. Yeah. <laughs> it's since closed down. Uh, then I worked at Inglis on Strawn Avenue. Uh, I worked there for a number of years. That closed down as well. <laughs> Not while I was there. Okay. <laughs> it was after Nothing I left. Nothing to do with you. <laughs> Nothing to do with me. And then I ended up working at North York General, but still in the occupational health department. Right. So I enjoyed that because, as I said, there was a lot of autonomy. And while we, yes, we, we did first aid and we looked after the, the health and well-being and all the accidents that happened and, you know, on the factory floor and that kind of thing, sure. there was also a lot of health teaching uh, that came along with, with that job mm -hmm. and uh, wellness teaching and, and prevent, preventative stuff. Right. So I, I really enjoyed that part of it. Sure. Yeah. And then in 1986, I think it was, um, I got the opportunity to work on a, some clinical trials of a recombinant DNA hepatitis B vaccine that was being produced by Connaught Labs, okay. which has also since closed down, <laughs> as, as you know, um, because up to that point, the um, hepatitis B was becoming a problem, but up to that point, the vaccines were derived from uh, people who had had hepatitis. Okay. And a lot of those people also had AIDS because oh. that was after the AIDS epidemic had started. Right. So there was a push on to find a vaccine that was not human derived. Right. And Connaught Labs was at the forefront of that. Sure. So I was uh, invited to, to work on clinical trials for, mm -hmm. that, for that vaccine. So I did that for a while. And then my husband, who my late husband, who was a high school science teacher, okay. who I met in England, but came to Canada with, mm -hmm. um, he decided that it would be a good idea to do a teaching exchange back in England. Oh, okay. And so we did that for a year. So he did the job of a teacher in a school in Hereford in England. She did his job here. We exchanged houses, exchanged wow. everything for <laughs> a year. Right. So that was a very interesting yeah. year. Our son that was... That holiday where they switch... Yes, yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah, except it was, it was for a year. Our son was seven at the time, okay. and he recalls it as being one of the best years of his childhood. Wow. So I took the opportunity to do a midwifery refresher course because this relates to your mention of Markham Stovo, right. because that was mid-80s and Markham Stovall was going to be built. Mm -hmm. And I knew that Markham Stovall would hire one occupational health nurse, but mm -hmm. they would hire a bunch of labor and delivery nurses. Right. So when we went back to England for that year, I arranged to do a midwifery refresher course. Okay. Um, with midwifery, you can't be out of it for a number of years and then just go back. You're mm. required to, to, it's almost like re recertifying. It's not quite, current. but you have, yes, you have yeah. to stay current. You have to do mm -hmm. courses. Mm -hmm. So I did that course and worked as a midwife again uh, in Gloucester for, for that time. Mm -hmm. And then when we came back after that year, Markham Stovall still hadn't opened yet, but I went to, I got a job at Scarborough Grace in labor and delivery. And then when Markham Stovall opened in 1990, started work at Markham right. Stovall in labor and delivery. And it was somewhat of a new kind of birthing center that they were creating at Markham Stovall. Well, well, yes, in that the, the, um, 
the philosophy they had at Markham Stovall was quite different from a lot of other places. It was very similar to Scarborough Grace, but a lot different from a lot of the other places mm -hmm. where um, childbirth was still um, quite medicalized. Mm -hmm. And Markham Stovall had a different philosophy, and it was the philosophy that matched what I had been used to in England, right. where we were trying to make childbirth more of something that was a normal function for for women mm -hmm. and try to not have uh, any interference unless it was necessary mm -hmm. and that was the philosophy at Markham Stovall so it's so it suited me very well yeah, absolutely no it sounds like it was tailor-made for you yes yeah. <laughs> and it was two minutes from home <laughs> right exactly and just to let you know unlike some of the other places you worked at that is still in business Markham Stovall Hospital it hasn't gone away Oh yes, oh yeah, well, <laughs> well thankfully. <laughs> so I want to go back to your husband, so you, you, you brushed over briefly, so uh, you met him in England yes. when you first came over from Northern Ireland, is that yes. correct? Yes, yes. And because and, and, you weren't in England long before you moved to Canada? Uh, for three years. Three years. Three years. That's the time yes. when you met your husband? Yes. And you convinced him to go with you to Canada? Well, he had already been to Canada oh, yeah. as well. Yes. Okay. So we had that in common. Okay. So he had, he had done his undergraduate degree in England and then he came here and he did his master's at Waterloo. Mm -hmm. And then he went back to Cambridge. Like he was a perpetual student <laughs> when, <laughs> right. when I met him. Right. But finally he, he finished and uh, got into teaching. And, and we, had, we had met at that point, yeah. and we both had the connection here, we both liked it here. Mm -hmm. Things were not wonderful in England politically at, at that time, sure. and so we decided that Canada had, had more opportunities, and so yes, we, we came right. back here. Yeah. So after, after, I was in England for yeah. three years. In 1975, my family moved from England to Canada, and I can certainly relate to the fact that things were Oh it's yes, so it was, oh, it was unstable, yeah. strikes all over the place, right. blackouts, like all kinds of stuff yeah. was, was going absolutely, on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, So there's one item that I want to touch on too. Uh, this is our crack research department came up with a, an event that took place in 1973. It was a travel adventure uh, <laughs> that yes. might have involved a Greyhound bus yes. or two. <laughs> That's right. Uh, can you explain what that was? Yes, about? well, it was 1974. 74, so we had, we had been here for, for about, we both worked for, for that, that year of, you know, when we came 73 and then into 74. He, is, as I said, was a teacher, so he had the summer off. I was getting a bit annoyed with what was going on at the hospital, so I said, okay, let's go. So I left hospital, he had the summer off anyway. Right. And just prior to that time, Greyhound Bus had this great deal where you could travel anywhere in North America for $99 for 99 days on the bus. <laughs> unlimited. In North unlimited, America. unlimited. Oh my Nine, gosh. Remembering that $99 was worth more than it is now, but of it course. was still a great deal. Yes, However, yes. by the time we did it in 1974, it was, it was 60 days for $99. But that was fine because we only had 60 yeah, days had anyway because he had to go back to work right. and I had to find another job. Sure. So yes, so we took off beginning of July and we traveled through through the states. We we went to Chicago, we went to uh, the Black Hills in Dakota, we went to Utah, we went to Colorado, to Nevada. 
mostly more northern. Uh, we'd already been to New York. Okay. We hadn't yet been to Florida. That came later in the southern sure. states, but, but we mostly northern. But we zigzagged yeah. back and forward. Wow. You could go anywhere. You could stay. You get off the bus. You could stay as long as you wanted. Then you'd, okay. you'd look at where do we want to go next. You'd get back on the next bus and off you go. We took our camping gear with us. Okay. We did a lot of camping. Right. We did hire cars on occasion, sure. depending on where we went. So, for example, in Utah, we went through Bryce Canyon and there's a another wonderful uh, park that, oh, Bryce, yeah, Bryce Canyon, I just forget the other one. Mm -hmm. But so we would hire a car and we you know, we'd go through those places. Right. Same kind of thing to the, to the Grand Canyon. Right. Uh, in, Las Vegas, we stayed in a hotel, <laughs> okay. very luxurious suite in a hotel, and that was right. the most expensive place that we stayed. Right. It cost us $19 a night. <laughs> <laughs> But there was no master plan. You were no. We just we're just were free as what. Right. Let's go here. Let's go there. Fabulous. We sometimes slept on the bus oh, overnight. Yeah, overnight, right? Met all kinds of characters, and I went <laughs> to a lot of places that I'd only read about. Um, my father was a great uh, reader of um, westerns. Mm -hmm. And I knew lots about the westerns and right. Wild Bill Hickok and Buffalo sure. Bill and Calamity Jane and the Hole in the Wall gang. <laughs> <laughs> and we went to a lot of places that, I, that, right. I, that I'd read about. That, it, was, right? it was really great. Wow. And we ended up in San Francisco. Oh, okay. um, spent, I think, a, a week, I think, there. Sure. We didn't go any farther south than that uh, sure. because we were traveling back up north to Vancouver. Okay. Uh, so through uh, uh, the rest of California and through Oregon and, and so on, yeah. Washington State up to Vancouver, where my uncle and aunt, who I had previously lived with in Toronto, had moved. Oh, okay. They got a bit older and decided they'd had enough of winter. They were great <laughs> golfers and they decided they would, they would go west, so they moved to Vancouver. Mm -hmm. So we went up to Vancouver, stayed with them, went over to, to uh, Vancouver Island. And then we went up into the Rockies and we met up with a friend who had driven out across Canada to do a mountaineering course in the Rockies. And we met up with him and we camped various places in the Rockies. And then we drove back across Canada okay. and back in down into Ontario sure. for the end of summer. And you did all that in 60 days. Yes. Wow, that's <laughs> a lot. You can do that when you're young. <laughs> you can't do young, yeah, for sure. That's amazing, it's fascinating. Wow, that's amazing. We've covered a lot of parts of your life and all those <laughs> yeah. adventures. It's been great. Yeah. So now we're going to do uh, a, sec a section we call Rapid Fire. Okay, here we are, Rapid Fire. I'm going to ask you some questions and the first answer that comes to your head. Oh gosh. <laughs> and it's all about what, you know, your preference. Okay. So, number one. Country music or rock music? Rock music. Okay. Number two, cake or pie? Cake. Very quick answer there. <laughs> no hesitation. Number three, say a word in Spanish. Hola. Okay, a nice short word, but it's still a word, yes? Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Okay. Star Wars or Star Trek? Can I say neither? You can. Yes. Neither. You're not the first person to say neither. <laughs> Dogs or cats? Cats. Okay. Have you ever worn socks with sandals? 
No. Okay. Only <laughs> men do that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we do sometimes. <laughs> what is your hidden talent? Oh, I don't think it's a talent, but I have something that, that um, is a little different, I think. Mm -hmm. I have something called number form synesthesia. Oh, okay. I'll have to explain <laughs> that. So synesthetes are people whose brains are a bit mixed up. And sometimes when they see, when they, a letter is spoken, they see the letter in color. Or if they hear a musical note, they hear it in color. So for me, when somebody says a number, I see it in a particular place in space. Okay. So I can tell you... Seven. It's right there. What color is it? It's gray, but my numbers are all gray. Oh, they're all gray, okay. But my numbers go from one up to 10 and round to 12 and back and up to 20. It just, it's, and I never knew that that was something that was a little different. I thought everybody saw their numbers that way until I found out a few years ago that no, it's, it's not normal. Wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, we, we can call it a talent. <laughs> it's not much use for anything though. No, okay. Coffee or tea? Oh, tea. Don't like coffee. Um, if you were going to sing a karaoke song, what would it be? One song. Danny Boy. Danny Boy. There's a good... <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. That's great. <laughs> well, Caroline, thank you so much for being here with us. It's You're been a pleasure. Welcome. Learned a lot about you and your adventures. And I think those are stories that uh, our audience will really enjoy. So um, thank you. It's my um, pleasure. So, so to our audience, I uh, just want to let you know, if you do have an idea for a guest that has a great story, please contact us at ideas at lifestoriesmarkham.ca. If you would like to sponsor a Life Stories Markham, our podcast, please get in touch with us at info at lifestoriesmarkham.ca. Whether you're listening on the podcast or watching on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel. This will ensure you do not miss a single episode. This program is produced by Neelash Hathi Media. And you can reach the man himself, Neelash, at neelash.hathi at gmail.com. And all of this information, including all the episodes uh, that are made, will be posted on our website at lifestoriesmarkham.ca. We thank you for your time, and we hope we'll see you again soon.